Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We're doing the, the spiritual maturity, kind of walking through this, and uh, the last three messages we've seen two marks of spiritual maturity, and we've seen one impedance. And the two marks uh, have been humility and love, and then the impedance that we have seen is strife or division. And tonight we're going to look at the second impedance. So uh, we've, we looked at Mark 1, impedance 1, Mark 2, and now impedance 2. So... Let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for allowing us to be here. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Uh, the songs we sang tonight and uh, the special just now, uh, we're so thankful uh, that you are for us, so thankful that you have extended this amazing grace and mercy uh, to us and uh, that you work in us, in our lives. And uh, this, this evening, Lord, we're yielded to you, yielded to your spirit, to your word, and, and we want you to do a work in our life tonight, Lord. Um, we realize that your plan for us as your children is to become more like you each and every day, Lord, that uh, we'll grow to that mature man in, in you, and our lives will reflect uh, the life that you lived uh, while you walked this earth and who you are even now. And so, Lord, we pray that you just move now and uh, teach us Help us, Lord, just use me as a mouthpiece, Lord, that you would get glory from all of this, and we'll praise you for what you do. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, again, just a, a reminder, if you've been here, uh, if you haven't been here, um, this is the spiritual maturity is kind of the, the uh, mar not the mark, but the goal for the Christian life. And so when you become a Christian, it's not just, I've got my golden ticket, uh, and now I'm good to go. That's, that's a blessing, but that's not what God's end desire is for each and every one of his children. Uh, his end desire is that we would be conformed, shaped, fashioned to the image of Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's what all of our lives are supposed to be aimed at. And so every single day we should be moving down the path of spiritual maturity closer and closer to Christ-likeness. And again, that's the goal. And so, you know, again, at the beginning of the year, we, we shared what uh, the um, theme was for this year, Others Over Self. And then we also revealed, you know, the new logo with a kind of a refreshed vision statement or identity statement with that end part being pursuing spiritual maturity. Uh, because that's the, again, that's the goal for us as, as Christians. In Romans chapter 8, Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us that's why gifts were given to the church so that preaching and teaching could be done, so that the body, each and every member, would grow up into a strong, mature person, so that the body itself would be edified, it would be built up in love, so that we would not be swayed by doctrines, by false doctrines, by different, you know, the, the winds of doctrine, as it says in, in Scripture there. Romans chapter 8 says that God's predestined plan for us is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. So before we were even on this earth, God had a plan for you, had a plan for me, that we would be shaped like the, the Son of God um, in His image, walking in His ways. Again, this is the predestined call for every single believer. Um, if you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, look, I'm just glad I'm going to heaven, that's all that matters to me. It shouldn't be all that matters to you. 
It should not be all that matters to you. What should matter to you is, first of all, yes, you're going to heaven. Praise God. But the, the thing that should matter is, am I taking steps every day to become more and more like Jesus Christ? And um, again, that's why as a church, we're determined to pursue it. We realize that nobody's going to obtain it as long as we're in these fleshly bodies, uh, but we can get closer to it. We can, we can draw closer to that, and uh, it, it, it's a pursuit in each of our lives. Um, my desire, our desire as a church is that every single person we could encounter, every single person that comes to this place, would encounter a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. They would enter into a relationship by his grace through faith in Christ alone. That would be the first desire. Then we would desire to see that person follow them in baptism, just like we saw on Sunday. Uh, Joey got baptized and his fiance. Uh, I, I didn't get to share all of that story, but I'll share a little bit tonight, maybe Sunday as well. Um, but she uh, had grown up in church. I didn't see her or not. She, she grew up in church and so kind of was religious, uh, but never had placed her faith in Jesus Christ, never had surrendered her life to Christ. And um, Joey had asked her after a, a service one time, you know, have, have you ever done this before? And, and she kind of uh, dismissed it. And she, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. And well, the next service, uh, it was either Sunday evening or Wednesday evening, they were here and, and um, she ended up coming down the altar, giving her life to Christ. And she went back to her seat and she was just crying and Joey was like, okay. And she was like, I'm, I'm really okay right now. And, uh, but she never let us know. And so we, I was meeting with them, talking about premarital counseling and talking about their, their wedding and everything, and uh, new members class and all this stuff. And, and so I, I asked them, every, every, everybody I talked to about marriage and you know, we talk about, you have a relationship with Christ? And, and she said, I do now. And I was like, what do you mean? And she gave me that story. I was like, man, that's a, you gotta share that kind of stuff with us. You know, if you get saved, that's a big deal. And, and so it just made me think, man, I need to, I need to make sure that uh, we, we give people an opportunity. If you make that decision, let us know, because uh, I don't always say that. But anyways, we want them to enter into a genuine relationship with Christ, enter into the baptismal waters, follow in Christ, in believer's baptism. And then we want each person who goes through this to also join with us as a body of believers in the process, in the journey, in the pursuit of our lives growing in such a way that, again, begin to resemble Christ more and more uh, every day. So in this pursuit, and as we move further along this process of spiritual maturity, uh, the more spiritual uh, reproduction actually happens in each of our lives, the more spiritual fruit comes from our life. So what, what I mean by that is, as you first get saved, and you get baptized, and, and you join the church, you start being, going down the discipleship process, start down the process of spiritual maturity, as you do that, what should begin happening is spiritual reproduction. You should uh, look in the Bible. Every time somebody gets saved, every time Jesus heals somebody, and they go and tell, cities are turned upside down. Their families are transformed. I mean, things begin to, to come from their lives, even from the moment that they get saved. The Apostle Paul, again, we look at his life. The further that he went along in his life, the less he actually lived for himself. And look how many people ended up getting saved. Same thing with the Apostles. Look in, the, look at, look in Acts, the day of Pentecost. Um, the further along they went, uh, the more people came to Christ because, again, uh, of this process uh, of spiritual reproduction. But it happens as we move. But again, these marks that we've seen in, in each of our, uh, in these studies so far, uh, these are identifiers. These are um, 
Again, marks. These are things that should be seen as we're growing into this spiritual maturity. As also we've seen in the first two marks, these are not only identifying factors, identifying marks, but they're also evaluating uh, marks, right? Because when we look at these, these are marks of spiritual maturity, humility. When we look at the Bible says that a spiritual mature person or somebody who is maturing spiritually is somebody who has humility, then it makes us look at ourselves and say, am I, am I living in humility? Am I living in a humble way? And do, do I have this as a mark? Again, it, it's not just a mark, but it, it's an evaluating point in our life. Same thing with love that we saw last week. Whenever we say that love is not only a mark of a Christian, but the closer we draw to Christ, the more love should be evident in our life. And so we begin to think, okay, is that what's happening in my life? Am I becoming more loving in, in my spiritual maturing process? And so again, questions like, are these in me? Are these evident marks in my life? Uh, are they becoming more and more obvious in my life? Um, you know, the there's, I think, a stigma that happens. The, the more um, knowledge that somebody gets, the more um, uh, spiritually mature somebody gets, uh, kind of the more untouchable they become, right? Sometimes we have that, that, that thought in our mind, well, they're just better than everybody. They're just higher. They're just, you know, and, and the reality is it, it's not that way. The more that somebody grows closer to Christ, the more humble they should become in their life. Much like a beauty mark on the skin, these spiritual marks should be beautiful reminders of God's molding of our life into that complete person, into that image of, of his son. Now on the flip side, as we've talked about, these spiritual uh, impedances or uh, these things that impede spiritual maturity, uh, these roadblocks in some lives unfortunately remain a lifetime there are some people that can never get out of being a divisive person there's some people no matter how long they've been a christian they just cannot stop from from striving having contention having division in their life it just seems like they just that's the type of person they are and that's just a sad situation it's a sad situation when somebody has, has this element that, that's a roadblock in their life. They, 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 they strive with people, even other believers. They have di dissension. There's always an argument to be had. There's always the, a, a problem to be brought out. There's always those things in, in these person's life. And again, there's some people that it remains in their life their whole life. And that is a roadblock that keeps them from taking another step in spiritual maturity. And so some people remain infants their whole life. We'll see a little bit more about that tonight, but uh, again, these, these uh, elements, these imped impedances, um, they keep us, they hinder us from reaching that predestined plan that God has. And I would say this, if at any point in time or any of these messages or at, you know, some point in the process, you see a hint of any of this in your life or a lacking of these marks or a, a hint of these, these impedances, then I think that we should do everything as somebody who's on the path to a spiritual maturity, to remove these things, to repent of these things, and to move from these things. And so tonight, uh, we'll move from the, number one impedance with strife division. Number two, we're going to see what that is, and that is carnality. There in your notes, everybody get notes, hopefully. Uh, there, I think there should be some on the back if you, if you don't, uh, if you didn't get any. But 
second impedance, carnality. You could, you could also say fleshly indulgence. You could say fleshly living. And I just want to tell you right now, now's not time to get up and leave. <laughs> carnality. Fleshly indulgence, fleshly living. I want to look at 2 Timothy, Paul's letter to his uh, apprentice, if you will, his son in the ministry. And again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says this, and this is in the ESV of verse 14, remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words. We recently looked at this, uh, even in the first impedance. Not to quarrel about words. Don't fight over things which does no good, but it only ruins the hearers. But do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then he goes on to say even further, but avoid irreverent babble because it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them, people who live like this and who, who are guilty of this are Hymenaeus and Philetus. They've swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection's already happened. That's a false doctrine. And again, these, these, these fights and arguments and debates, again, it was wrong. And because of their cancer, their gangrene, they have caused other people to stumble. They're upsetting the faith of some, he said. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. This is the foundation of God, and it bears this seal. Regardless of who says what about their faith, regardless of who teaches what, regardless of all these things, if you want to know who is a part of what God is, of who God is, this is what it is. It bears this seal. The Lord knows who are his, first of all. God knows who are his people. Secondly, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. He goes on to say this. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, there's also vessels of wood and clay, earth vessel, earthen vessels, some of, for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, in light of this, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, then he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And that's what we're, again, called to as the, the people of God. Good works. That's what we're supposed to do. The, James coordinates the two. You can't say, I have faith without good works. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Again, those good works are works done in sincerity and obedience to God's word. And again, regardless of, uh, of what it is, that's a good work. He goes on to say this in verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those, everybody else who call on the name, uh, call on the Lord from a pure heart have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Whether you read them on the news or read it on Facebook, or, I mean, well, it's not in there. Sorry. <laughs> that was a get off that soapbox there. Um, no. Ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. They, they breed fights. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. That's not, it's not what God has called, uh, specifically talking to the minister here, uh, but for all people, because again, in the ministers be an example. Uh, not, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
not with hostility or harshness. God may perhaps grant them repentance when you do this, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Then it's interesting because then Paul kind of turns the corner here and, and says, this is the way that you're supposed to be. This is the way that you're not supposed to be. This is the seal of God, the, his firm foundation. The, the, these are all these things. And now I want to explain to you what it's going to look like in the last days. It's, it's, it's gonna, it, this is the culture. But understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. The word in, in, in the King James is perilous times. And that means that there will be dangerous times. It will be a dangerous state of mankind in the end times. Though, again, it will not be good. Why? Why, does, why is it not going to be good? He explains. Because people will be lovers of self. Now, think about this. What is our theme for this year? Others over self. But in the last days, the state of mankind, the culture, is said to be lovers of self. Not lovers of others. Lovers of self, putting self first. So the end time people, culture will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, and swollen with conceit. Listen, just, just look at culture today, and it seems like that, that this is describing it to the T. I mean, watch, watch the news, watch Hollywood, watch sports, watch, I mean, just watch all these things, and it just becomes all of these things so amplified. And then it says this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That would be enough of an indictment. But he goes on to say this, having an appearance, appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. It's hard to sometimes qualify statements like this, right? Because if we're supposed to be trying to reach other people, and again, there's a, there's a doctrine, and I've shared it recently, that it permeates in, in even Christian, the Christian realm that um, it's been around for a long time, that you know, you, you gotta win, you gotta be like them to win them. And it kinda, it kinda surged uh, in the, in my, my memory, in the late 90s and early 2000s, I remember, uh, even when that, that uh, church growth movement uh, really started to come on the scene. And, and then it kinda went away. People kinda, not all, all the way away, but people, kind of moved from that to um, j just the different model and different, and different uh, modes and methods in, in ministry, if you will. And now it seems to be kind of making a different type of a comeback, but it's clothed in um, really, really, really slick um, jargon and, and a lot of, lot of crafty speech uh, with that. And I just... I, it's, it's a difficult thing because the closer we get to Christ, uh, his return, the more I think that's going to be. And again, that's why uh, it's so important for us to cling to the word of God and not cling to what um, somebody interprets the word of God saying or what they think it, it, it should be. Um, and so again, the reality of our day is that we're there. 
We're, we're right here. What he said, this is what it's going to be like in the end times, we're there. And it's increasing. It seems like it's increasing every single day. But very clearly, Paul, in, in mentoring uh, Timothy here, he's telling him to avoid the fleshly pursuit of sin. He's telling him to, to avoid going back to living like the old man. He's telling him to, to, to avoid the, the, the things that are opposite of what God wanted for him and where God wanted to take Timothy. He says, don't go that way. Don't, don't go with people that even are, are, are acting like this or teaching like this. And, and people that are like this in the end times, they, they have this, this, this clothing of godliness, but they're not godly. They're not pursuing Christ. They're not pursuing holiness. They're not pursuing those things. He, he says, avoid those people. Why? Because you can't, you can't be a part of that and go where God wants you to go. Be who God wants you to be. Which was, he wanted him to go to spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness, spiritual usefulness. Remember, every man that purges himself of things dishonorable becomes a vessel that's useful for the master. master. That's, 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 what he, that's where he wanted him to go, spiritual fruitfulness. He charged Timothy to Timothy, to, to lift high the seal of God's firm foundation, which was God knows who are his, and everyone who is the Lord's is to depart from iniquity. It's not to flirt with it, not to embellish it, not to glorify it, not to minimize it, but to depart from it. Too often today, many people are attempting to make the church relevant to the world that is opposed to God. Think about that. The, the Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. That, that's what the scriptures say. This is not my opinion. This is what the world, I mean, the, the word of God says. And so for, for pastors and churches and, and, and people in the church today to say, well, we just need to be more relevant in the world today. I'm not saying that we don't need to understand what culture we live in. And I'm not saying that we don't need to understand how people operate and, and, and try our very best to, to see where they're coming. I'm not saying that at all. But to try to make our lives relevantly look like those who are lost in darkness, those who are opposed to God and in some ways enemies of the cross is a great error in our ministry, in, 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 in the church. To, to say, we just need to become more like them. We need to be relevant. The, world, the church needs to be relevant to the world. I believe to do that would foster fleshly indulgence. A lifestyle of fleshly indulgence that actually is racing towards a society that's absolutely godless and idolizes ungodliness because that's what's happening in our culture. Right? Look at it. Our culture is racing towards more godlessness. It's racing towards an idolizing ungodliness. I mean, you can't, you can't hardly watch a TV show. You can't even hardly watch an AT&T commercial. You can't, you can't watch corporate, corporate commercials hardly anymore without seeing the world exalt ungodliness and idolize it. And so that's what the world is doing. It's racing towards idolizing ungodliness. And so for the church, this, which again, let's talk about the name of the church, right? Ecclesia. Th that means to be called out 
out from, ek, let's see it to, something or someone. The church is the body of believers that has been called out of the world, out of sin, and called unto the Lord into his kingdom. And so we are not supposed to say, let's be relevant to the world so that they will want to be a part of us. Again, the culture that was in Christ's day, the culture that we see today increasingly godless, again, was opposed to Christ then. It's it's opposed to him now. How opposed was the culture in Christ's day? So much so that they crucified him. We know our sins did. He, He willingly did for the sins of the world, but that's what... That's the culture he came into. I believe it would happen today again. But he came. He came to seek and to save those sinners that would crucify him. He came to seek and to save the lost, the Bible says. He came to seek and to save those people, those sinners, who he was nothing like. Think about that, right? That's that's how Jesus Christ saved those who were in darkness and in sin. Some were enchained. Some were enslaved. Some, some were in bondage to certain sins, various sins that we know that what their sins were, let alone the ones of the sins that we don't know. But Jesus was so opposite of them, and yet it's in that state of complete polar opposites that those people got saved. So if in our pursuit, stay with me, if in our pursuit of spiritual maturity, we're supposed to be becoming more like Jesus Christ, who was sinless, who had nothing to do with the filth and the fleshly indulgence and the the darkness and the sin of this world. He had nothing to do with them other than loving the sinners. Then tell me how it is that that works. Listen, you say, well, I know people are getting saved in, in, in churches like that all the time. I'm not God. I'm not saying that God can't use and God doesn't, God doesn't use. I just know that every person will give an account. I know that pastors will give an account. I know that churches will, will give an account. And, and I also know there's a lot of professions that even happen in churches like ours that preach the word of God verse by verse. There's a lot of people that say the prayer, that think that they're saved and going to heaven. And so I just, again, I'm not God, and I'm not going to judge somebody's heart. It's not my place. But again, Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. But being loving God, he extends grace to the woman caught in adultery, thrown down at his feet. He extends grace to the woman sitting at the well with her. Culturally, that doesn't work, right? Right? Let's, let's think about this. Christ didn't go in and, and into this woman's house where she was living with this fifth guy uh, and not married to, or the sixth guy and not married to, and, um, and say, uh, that's cool. I mean, I might look at this one day as well. I mean, if you want to live with them, I know that's, I mean, Christ didn't do that. He didn't condone sin. He didn't join himself to their practices of fleshly indulgence and sin. He never did that. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't culturally accepted. It was, it, was a, it was something, why is a man sitting next to a woman? And why is the woman in the middle of the day drawing water? Well, because of her social standing and because of her status. And that day, of, we believe, he's there and, and again extending grace and mercy to someone he was not at all like. He wasn't a woman. And he wasn't a sinner. 
And he had not been married. I mean, again, he had nothing in common with her other than he was her God and her Savior. But he extends grace, love, and mercy, forgiveness to these. And as they surrendered, as that woman at the well, as the woman caught in adultery, as every single sinner that Jesus would do this to, as they surrendered, he took them from death to life. And he changed them from a sinner to a son or a daughter. And he changed them from enemies to friends and ambassadors for his kingdom. He changed them. They were changed. They were no longer living that life, doing those things. Uh, again, you can even look at the story of um, um, Zacchaeus was, a little man, right? The song, he goes up and he had, he had wronged people, right? What did he do? Did he go back to wronging people? Did he go back to living a life of thievery? And st- no, he, he was changed. He said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to give back. I'm going to repay more than what I took. Again, that's what he did with us if we're truly saved. He changed us. Regardless of how bad we thought we were or we weren't, well, God didn't have to save me that much, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or if you think, well, God saved me from the very bottom of the barrel, you know. Regardless of that, it's what he did for all of us. He took us from sinners and made us sons and daughters. He took us from enemies and made us friends and ambassadors. That's the work that only God can do. So our pursuit isn't supposed to be like the world's pursuit. What's the world pursuing? Again, go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look what the state of the, the end of the world is, is going to be, the culture. I mean, that's what they're pursuing, money and self and, 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 and being puffed up and That's what the world looks like. That shouldn't be the definition of our lives. Our lives shouldn't be pursuing what a blinded people are pursuing. You get that? We we should not be pursuing what the blinded, spiritually blinded people are pursuing. So carnal and fleshly pursuit. The world is enticed by. That our old nature is enticed by, isn't supposed to be our pursuit. It's not to present that we live how we want to as well. As if we're, we don't have a holy Lord, we don't have a, a holy truth. It's not what our life is supposed to look like. Our pursuit is to be a, of the Holy One. Every single child of God, our pursuit is to be of the Holy One who pursued us, who loved us to death. That should be our pursuit. That is our pursuit. Our pursuit is to be like Him in this. What was His life like? Well, we're told in Romans chapter 12 to be a living sacrifice. That was so evident in Christ's life. He humbled Himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We should be pursuing that life, to be a living sacrifice. To live as those who are dead to sin. To live as those who have actually been transformed by His power and not our own. Those who are actually new creations in Christ. To be able to please the Father in obedience, where before, when we were enemies, we couldn't please the Father in any way. To be those new creations, to love with a love that we were first loved by Him. 
These are the things that happen when somebody's transformed. When we're transformed, this is the pursuit of our life, to be those living sacrifices, to love as he loved, uh, loved to, to live and, and be transformed. And Jesus said that this is actually how people will know that you're mine, that you're my followers, is if we were to love one another in a way that he loved us. That's what he said in John chapter 13, verse 34. New commandment I give unto you that you love one another. How? How are we supposed to love each other, Lord? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. That's how you'll know that you are a disciple, he says, that, that the world will know. To not be fleshly and carnal doesn't mean that we become religious zealous Pharisees. I'll put that in your notes. To not be fleshly and carnal doesn't mean that we become religious, zealous Pharisees. In other words, so if I'm not going to be carnal or if I'm not going to have carnality in my life as a roadblock to spiritual maturity, what does my life look like then? If, if, if I am pursuing spiritual maturity and I'm moving further down the road of spiritual maturity and, and, and carnality is not a roadblock in my life, what does that look like? Does it look like a religious, zealous Pharisee? No. It absolutely doesn't. I would say that's a different version of the complete opposite. Carnality is a complete opposite of pursuing spiritual maturity, but I would say that's a different version of carnality, is, is this Phariseeism, this legalism, to, to think that uh, you're better or that you have to legally obey, you know, no. Again, Jesus called th that type of carnality wadded sepulchers full of dead men's bones, the blind leading the blind. They were just as carnal, just a religious version of carnal. Again, still carnal. To not be fleshly or carnal is to obey the Spirit's leading in obedience to God's Word and obeying God's Word. To walk in fellowship with God sincerely as you pursue a life that mimics your Lord. That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like a religious, zealous Pharisee, but for carnality not to be a roadblock in your life, it's not a necessarily something that is keeping you from being spiritually mature, so that, it's, again, it's not something that's impeding you. What that looks like is that you are, because of the Spirit in you, because of the Spirit's leading in you, leading you to obey the Word of God. Word of God. That means that you can walk in fellowship with God because, again, without walking in obedience to his word, we can't walk in fellowship. It's not walking in the spirit without walking in obedience. And so this is what it means. It means that we're walking in obedience to God's word, walking in fellowship with him. And this is done in sincerity. And it's done because, again, we want to pursue that life that mimics the Lord that saved us. Again, Paul told Timothy, it doesn't look like religion. It doesn't look like sinful living. It doesn't look like indulging in lust. It doesn't look like dangerous culture uh, that will be seen in the last days. It doesn't look like that at all. But what it does look like, Paul would say, it looks like a life that's set apart, sanctified, ready for the master's use. It looks like a life that handles the word of God rightly. It looks like a life. What does that mean? That means it looks like a life that handles it, obeys it, it shares it. It looks like a life that's truly striving after Christ. 
You say, how do I know that my life is, how do I know that I'm tracking spiritually the right way, the right direction? How do I know that I'm moving closer to Christ-likeness and that carnality, being fleshly or giving into fleshly indulgence of fleshly desires is not something that is keeping me from going down that road of spiritual maturity? Again, one of the evaluating factors, are you truly striving after Jesus Christ? Are you truly in his word, seeking to obey his word? There's got to, blessed are they that, which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, but they, they will be filled. You, it has to be something that you hunger for, you thirst for. I want to be like him. I want to know him. I want to know what he wants from me. Again, don't you remember that when you first got saved? Man, I, re, I remember when I first got saved, I was 10 years old. And, and I had been in church since I could remember. But I remember there being a renewing of mom, a, a freshness. I wanted to know what God wanted me to, to, to know. I wanted to do what God told me to do. I wanted to avoid what God told me to avoid. I wanted to do, I wanted to obey. I was a new creature. It, it's happened at different points in my life as well. Whenever uh, there's been a revival or a, a, a rededication, uh, I remember whenever uh, I've shared this story before. Whenever the Lord started working on my heart before he called me into ministry, I was working at a bank with a lady, and, and God used that to stir me up and, and cause a revival, cause a rededication in my life. I realized, man, I need to be in the Word of God more. I've been raised in church, and here I am, 18, 19 years old. I should know way more than I actually know. Now, I knew it. It just wasn't hidden. It wasn't usable. It, it was knowledge, but not necessarily understanding and wisdom in my life. And so, man... I got into the Word of God. I wanted to know it. I, had to, I was hungering for it. I was at work. I was, I was taking notes there next to my teller station. And, and, and the ladies at the, at the bank were like, what are you doing? You know, are you a preacher? You know, no, I'm not. I'm just studying. I'm, I'm, you know. and, um, and so, again, it looks like truly striving after Christ. But I put this in there, too, because I want this to be very clearly known. This doesn't look like a completely sinless life. It doesn't look like a completely sinless life, but it looks like a life that's becoming less and less sinful. And you say, how do I know that I'm moving down the path of spiritual maturity the right direction? I'm going, I'm going up instead of falling back. How do I know I'm moving down this path of spiritual maturity not being hindered by carnality? Does that mean that I never sin, Brother Kyle? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean a completely sinless life. But what it does mean, again, when we look at Scripture, it means that as we're moving closer to Christ's likeness, which Christ was sinless, as we move closer to being like Him, that we sin less and less every day. Say, so, man, when I first got saved, I really struggled with the sin of a filthy mouth. Man, I just... I was saved from, you know, I, was, I cursed every other word, and, and I know the Bible says, you know, no, you know, filthy communication proceed out of your mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I, I know it says that, you know, that we're supposed to speak life, and, and, and our words are supposed to, uh, you know, honor the Lord and, and, and all these things. And when I first got saved, man, I, it was so hard. You know, I, I, I didn't want to do that. I want to dishonor the Lord. I didn't want to bring a mark to his name, a bad mark to his name, and now that I've moved down the path, I mean, that seems like so long ago. 
And you say, man, not me. I, I, I kind of, there's that old man wants to, to rear up in me again. Again, it doesn't mean a completely sinless life. But it means that it looks like a life that's becoming less and less sinful. Uh, scripture gives us two paths. Two paths that um, we can go down in this life as a Christian. Um, and it, it's spelled out basically in Galatians chapter 5. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty, freedom in Christ for an occasion of flesh. So don't use your liberty in Christ to do what is fleshly. What does the word fleshly mean? Carnal. Carnal means fleshly. So don't use your liberty to do carnal things, to do fleshly things, to do things that you used to do just to please yourself or to sin because it was what your flesh wanted to do. Don't use your liberty to do those things, but by love, use it to serve one another. Use the liberty you have in Christ to serve each other. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. If you take care of that commandment, everything else should be fine. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed, beware, that you be not consumed one of another, that you don't destroy yourselves. If you tear each other down and you don't love each other the way you're supposed to love each other, you destroy yourselves from within. This I say then, here's how you can fix this. Walk in the Spirit. You know, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, he ties that type of activity, not loving, not, not serving one another, to this. Fulfilling the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, Spirit against the flesh. And these, two, uh, these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit... You're not in the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Here you go. What, is, what does it look like? What is a carnal life? What, is some, what does it look like? Here it is. Here's fleshly life. It says that these are the works of the flesh. This is what the manifestations of fleshly carnal living. Adultery. We know what that is. Fornication. That means harlotry. Sexual immorality. It actually, fornication is actually, the Greek word is pornea. Sound familiar? Pornia. That's where it comes from. It's a Greek word. So, again, that's sexual immorality, sexual indulgence outside of marriage or before marriage. Uh, uncleanness, which is just simply means impurity. Um, oh, man, I know this is not in the message. I read a blasphemous article, I think, yesterday. And I am not joking blasphemous. There is a cult it's not a church it's not christian i don't care what they say or what name they have it's something like evangelical lutheran church or something like that it's got a a woman pastor who she says that they have they're the muscular version of christianity they're they're muscling up christianity this this woman pastor curses in the pulpit all the time no problem uh in in her life um and I know there's a, a, there's a mixed crowd in here, so I'm going to be careful with, with what I say, what she did. But there was a period of time that she solicited purity rings. Purity rings are what, um, uh, you know, it, it was started decades ago. Young people, parents making a commitment, you know, hey, we're going to keep ourselves until marriage, following what God's Word says, obviously. But for some reason, this false prophet and this blasphemous uh, doctrine uh, says that we, we've moved on from that, that, we, that that's irrelevant in, in, in today's culture, basically, and even in Christianity. And so she solicited purity rings. And what she did was she solicited these purity rings so that she could have them melted down 
and formed into a golden idol of a certain body part to exalt feminism and to exalt the freedom of sinful, well, fornication and adultery. She did this. She had to go through, I think the article said, four, four different welders that were men who refused to do it. She finally found a female welder that would do it. She presented this idol on stage to somebody who was celebrating and a champion for the homosexual movement. That's why I said blasphemous. I mean, a spit in the face of God, the spit in the face of marriage, the spit in the face of life. Uh, no, not, not homosexual, abortion. Abortion. I mean, you could throw it all, all in there. I mean, it's, it's in the same movement. It's, God desires his way. He, th- this is the world we live in. There are some people that will read that and think, well, Christians are messed up. Some people read it and say, well, Christians aren't any different than us. Some people will say, oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. And see, no need. No difference. That, that woman at the well saw a very clear difference between Jesus Christ and herself. That woman that was thrown down at Jesus' feet and was begging for mercy saw a very clear difference between Jesus and her and her life. That's what I'm saying. Again, he says, look, this is what the manifestation of the flesh is. These, when, you, when you look at what, what is carnal living, it's, it's adultery, it's fornication, it's impurity, it's lasciviousness. That means unrestrained in moral attitudes or behaviors. It's uncontrolled lust. It's uncontrolled indulgence of fleshly desires. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, which means contention, emulations, which is, or jealousies, uh, wrath. That means indignation, and, and some of you got to listen up. It also means fits of anger. <laughs> the manifestations of the flesh, fits of anger. Strife, seditions, which means dissensions, similar to what we talked about before, divisions, heresies, false teachings, divisions, which form sex, uh, you know, different, different groups, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Now, revelings is an interesting Greek word. It, it, it can mean a few different things, but primarily in this text here, it means carousing. It means letting loose. And in the context of what it's, it's being uh, presented is probably something like what you would see at a party where you have both the sexual side of things and then also the drunken side of things where inhibitions are lowered and, and it's just complete gratification. And then I love this last, last part right here. Look at that. What, what are those three words? What? And such like. <laughs> I love that because just in case someone in the 21st century says, the Bible never said we couldn't. <laughs> it's like the Holy Spirit says, listen, if you just want to give into your flesh, this is the characteristics of it. And and in case you say, well, the Bible doesn't say, it's anything like this. It's anything that has to do with anything like this. And this such like he says. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So the lifestyle of such is not indicative. It doesn't indicate a life that has been transformed by the spirit 
of God. So again, that, that's the, the path that a Christian is not to be going down. This carnal, fleshly life shouldn't be indicative of a Christian's life. It shouldn't be something, because again, it becomes a barrier, not only in our life to spiritual maturity, but because a barrier even to the lost. Because as we live and indulge in our flesh, it shows that we've not been transformed, that we are not different, that we are, we are the same as them. Remember with all this, it doesn't mean that we are sinless, that, but we are sinning less as we move down this path. And so again, you say, well, I've, I've struggled with some of these things that it said before. I've actually done some of these things that are on that list since I've been a Christian. This is talking about the manifestation of flesh, the lifestyle of those. I, I, I was talking to uh, our missionary in Nicaragua the other day, um, Jaron, maybe it was yesterday, and we were talking about this, and I, and I preached a sermon many, many years ago called uh, uh, What You Practice, What You Do is Who You Are. And I talked about baseball. I talked about baseball teams, and I talked about being in the stands and, and uh, how you, know, you, could, you could buy the uniform, you could sit in the stands, you could show up at every practice, you could show up at every game. You could say that you were on the team, but you are not on the team unless you're actually in the practice in the games and a part of the, that's that's not who you are and so again that's what you practice what you do is who you are if you are living in fornication if you're living in those things that's who you are you are a fornicator you are an adulterer you are a liar you know that that's the definition of who you are um, so it doesn't mean that at some point in your Christian life you wouldn't stumble in with the, or struggle with the old nature, the old man, and you wouldn't stumble into a sin that happens to be a, a work of the flesh and then be convicted and say, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. But again, if you're having to give an excuse for why living fleshly is okay, I would say tonight that you're going the wrong direction spiritually. If that's where you're at as a Christian, if you're saying, I don't think it's that big of a deal if I do this, as long as I don't do this. If you're trying to give an excuse why you want to do something fleshly, you're going the wrong direction spiritually. To be carnal, to, to have carnal elements, to have fleshly elements in your life is to be in, impeded spiritually, moving spiritually in, in, in the right direction. Because fleshly carnal living is the opposite of spiritual living. In contrast to the fleshly lifestyle just listed, the spiritual lifestyle is next, and I'm almost done. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit, so the evidence, the seen evidence, the noticeable evidence of the Spirit in someone's life is this. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which means patience. Gentleness, which means kindness. Goodness, faith. You know what faith means here? It means fidelity. What does fidelity mean? Faithfulness. So these are the things that are evident in somebody who's walking in the Spirit, somebody who's been transformed, somebody who's pursuing Christ, pursuing Christ's likeness, somebody who's moving down the road to spiritual maturity. These are the elements that are there. It goes on to say that there's also meekness seen in these people, gentleness, uh, temperance, which means self-control. And he says that against this, there's no such law. If these things are in your life, there's no there's no law to indict you in the word of God. And listen to what it says next. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and its lusts. It doesn't mean 
that they don't, that the enemy, that uh, sin, that the, the flesh still wants to pull on you and, and pull you back into a carnal lifestyle, a, a fleshly lifestyle, a sinful lifestyle. It doesn't mean that, that you're not living in a fleshly body, the same body that you used to sin when you were in sin, living for sin. The, the, the body knows that. The, the, the mind knows that. It knows what it is, the, the pleasures of sin. Even though they may be for a season, your body knows that. So there's, pull, there's pulls there. But those who are of Christ, those who have been changed by Christ, they've put to death the flesh. They say, you're no longer on the throne, old man. You're no longer in, in control. You no longer have the say. You no longer direct what I do. You no longer direct my thoughts. You no longer have any, any hold in my life anymore. You're dead. All the desires for you, all the desires for the sin are gone because I've been saved from that. I've been rescued from, the, from that. I've been forgiven of that. I've been changed from that. Said so if you have been crucified, if, you, if you're Christ, you've been crucified with the flesh uh, with affection as lust. If we live in the spirit, then we should walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. So if, if we're in the spirit, that's that. So that, there's the indictment. If you're Christ, these things are the, uh, the case. And then uh, again, we see in 1 Corinthians, carnality was the problem for the church there. Uh, that's, that was keeping them. He said, I, I can't talk to you any other way other than babes because you're carnal. I, I, couldn't come to you any other, I couldn't come to you in a spiritually mature way because you're still babies. And the reason why you're still babies is because you're carnal. You're living carnally still, fleshly. You're being controlled by things you shouldn't be controlled by. In 2 Peter chapter 1, I don't, I'm not going to read it all. Um, but if you look there in verse 4, it says, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Verse 9, it says, he that lacketh, lacks these things, the things that we're supposed to add to our life, virtues, is blind, cannot see afar off, and has forgotten he's purged from his old sins. Forgotten he was purged from his old sins. I want to encourage you tonight to walk in the Spirit and grow in the Spirit simply means to be pursuing Christ daily, diligently, earnestly. Truly pursuing Him. Not just existing, but pressing into Him. Wanting to be like Him. That's, that is walking. So that's, that's how you're going to grow spiritually. To grow spiritually or to move down the path of spiritual maturity is not to elevate yourself above others, thinking that you are more spiritual than others. Saying that you are more spiritual, saying how long you've been a Christian, that doesn't make you more spiritually mature. But to be sincere, unapologetically pursuing holiness, because God is holy, is the right pursuit. Is the pursuit that's going to bring us to a, a, a closer Christ-likeness. Again, we'll trip and fall along the way. Unfortunately, that's what happens. But the prayer is that we become less, that becomes less and less of, a, of an occurrence the further along the spiritual path we go. That, that's the prayer. You say, man, so I don't, I don't know, I'm really struggling with this sin, Brother Kyle. Does that mean that I'm not moving down the path of spiritual maturity? I, the scripture says that. You, you, you can't walk in the flesh and walk in the spirit. And you can't you can't please the spirit and walk in the flesh. You can't move to Christ's likeness and, and be fleshly. And so what's the answer? The answer is, so well, I go to sincerely press towards Christ, 
to press into him, to be into his word, to, to let his word be in you, and to seek to obey that and to follow that and, and to, to let that be the pursuit of your life. And it's okay to want to pursue holiness. I don't care what anybody you read or listen to on YouTube or, 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 or on TV or, or whatever friends or other ministries or ministers that you listen to that, that says that, that that is a Pharisaic mindset. Look, then show them the word of God. You don't have to be a Pharisee to be pursuing holiness. To be a Christian, I believe that life shows that you're pursuing holiness because you're following the Holy One. And so tonight I want to encourage you. So I'm, I'm struggling. Just start here, as I said a while ago. If, if you see that this is an element in your life, remove it. Repent from it. And, and, and just say, God, I want to be like you. That's what you've called me to be. I want to be more like you. I don't want this to be a struggle in my life. I don't want this to be something that keeps me from being like you. I don't want this fleshly struggle. I don't want this sinful struggle. I don't want this in my life. I, I want to be like you. I want to be holy. That's in the Lord's will. You pray that prayer with sincerity. He'll be there to help you. But you've got to make some decisions yourself. I've got to make some decisions. It's just the way it works. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to, to see this, to be strengthened in this, to be convicted in this. Lord, to realize that you are holy. We realize that spiritual growth can be difficult sometimes. It can be um, painful even. Lord, to realize that even in our physical bodies, to grow uh, sometimes has growing pains. And so, Lord, there's times that we come to places in our spiritual lives and we realize there's something that's hindering us from taking that next step of spiritual maturity. Lord, if that happened tonight or it's happening tonight in any of us, God, that we would have um, the grace from you and the strength by your spirit uh, to repent and to remove whatever is, is keeping us from moving forward spiritually. Lord, that we, we would realize the detriment that the flesh is to our uh, spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. Help us keep it crucified. And I pray you just move now and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.